Has anybody here ever heard the statement, how do you eat an elephant, or the question, how do you eat an elephant, right? Yeah. So um, I had the opportunity to do a safari thing in Kenya. Uh, Amboseli is the park that I was at. And there were elephants there. And in fact, elephants pretty up close and personal. So um, like the next picture we'll show you. And um, so here's the thing. You know, the answer to the question is, how do you eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? I mean, but who really wants to eat an elephant? Right. I mean, you know, that doesn't sound very nice. So um, but you sort of get the idea within that, you know, that question of of, you know, how do you tackle something? How do you move forward with something? And it's little by little. Now, some of you may have noticed this is not a Denver Broncos jersey, um, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) Yes, we are sort of at the same place in the NFL. um, But but I do want you to know this is a Chicago Bears jersey. The Bears are number one. Doesn't matter what happens today. Doesn't matter what happens in two weeks. The Bears are number one. Number one draft pick, right? That's right. Because we are the worst. So we get to be first. Worst. Jesus said something about that, right? You know, last will be first, first will be last. So there you go. Um, So just remember that for you now, your fans, if you get all the way. So you're going to be last. Um, So. But um, Walter Payton jersey, that's what this is, okay? Um, And I I lived in Chicago for nine years, and that's where I learned how to read a sports page. Uh, That's where I learned that you could be absolutely sports crazy because Chicago had all these wonderful uh, special, you know, um, sports teams, professional sports teams. If you're in hockey, you had the Blackhawks. If you're in baseball, you had the, the White Sox, you had the Cubs. If you're in football, you had the Bears, and this is the Michael Jordan era that I was here, the Mike, Mike Ditka era that, that I was there. You know, people were just crazy. And, um, and I actually got to be quite close in proximity to Walter Payton because I was, uh, was invited to a Bulls game, and we were sitting on four seats. We were at the end of the court, and, and in the front row, and I was about in the sixth row, in the front row was Walter Payton sitting there watching the game. And he got up and he walked by. The dude's small. I mean, he was a small guy. So, well, how, how, how big is he? Let me give you some, you know, statistics. Walter Payton, Hall of Fame player. So the, the statistics on him is, is that he was 5 foot 10 inches tall and 200 pounds, of which, you know, in all the sports things, they're lying, right? They're never that tall. They're never that heavy, usually, right, is, is that they're smaller than that. But about 5'10", 200 pounds. Walter Payton played for the Chicago Bears for 13.2 years. And in that 13.2 years, he missed one game in his rookie season. And then he played 186 consecutive games after that. So that's a, you know, he was Mr. Endurance. I mean, that is an amazing record to think, you know, particularly in football. Now, in his career, he rushed for... 16,726 yards. So to put that in perspective, think about this, is is that get on Highway 50 at Placerville Drive and drive to Ponderosa Road, and you've gone about how far Walter Payton ran in his career. But you have to also put it into this perspective, is, is that Walter Payton's average length of his run when he was doing as a, as a running back was 4.4 yards. That is 13.2 feet, which is from the stage to here. 
And then what happens is you get knocked down. <laughs> and then you have to get back up and you do it over again. So think about again, getting on Highway 50, running down Highway 50, and every 4.4 yards, somebody knocks you down. Well, who knocks you down? The average lineman size in the time that Walter Payton was playing, six foot four, about what, how tall I am, and 272 pounds. So the average linebacker in the, in the NFL now, I couldn't figure out what it was back then, is 6'2", 241, which is probably about the same. So somebody about 40 to 70 pounds heavier than you, six inches taller than you, comes and knocks you on your rear every 4.4 yards for 13 years for nine and a half miles. Anybody feel like that's your life about right now? Can you relate? So we've been in a series of messages. We're coming to the end of it of this question of why. What is our why as a church? What is the why that God has in your life? And we've been talking about if you have a why, then you have to figure out how that why is going to take place. And then you have to figure out what you need to do. And today we're looking at the what. When we come back to the why, this is what Walter Payton's statement is when he talked about football, his career, the thing that he did. Why? It's not about money. It's not about statistics. It's about the romance kindled by playing the game the way it was supposed to be played. That's a pretty amazing statement for a football player, right? But that was what drove him. That was what drove him to get up every 4.4 yards and to do it over and over and over. 186 consecutive games. Nine and a half miles. So I want to look at that from a perspective of if we think about if we're building something is how do we do that? How do we build a wall? Has anybody here ever done a remodeling project? All right. Or are you still married? All right. Because uh, one of the things they say is, is that one of the most stressful things on a couple is, is to do a remodeling project together. So and to, to figure that. And, and, you know, when you're when you're when you're coming up to that. You have to ask this question, well, why, why are we going to do that? And so as we think about building something here at Cold Spring Church, we think about why are we here, is, is that we have to say, well, why are we doing what we're doing? And so the why is, is there's a formula. It's to blank so that. To do what so that there's this impact or this result. And I love when we think about that for our life, we think about that for us as a church Frederick Buechner's um, statement where he says, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. And then once we have that why, is we say, well, how are we going to do it? And we talked about last week, it was, you know, there's three to five sort of core pillars that we then build on that foundation of, of the why in order to 
grow up and to build up the thing of meaning and significance for us personally or the, the meaning and significance of what we are doing together as a community. And then lastly is, is that what are you going to do? What ultimately are you going to do? And so the, the thing I want to look at for us this morning is, is that I want us to go to a story in the Bible, a book in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, um, I encourage you to open it up to the book of Nehemiah. There's a Bible and chair in front of you. Or if you're using your electronic device, you can do that. The best way to find Nehemiah is the table of contents is what I find. Um, so, but it's in the Old Testament towards the front of the book. And the book, 342, if you're looking in the Bible in the chair near you. Um, so the book of Nehemiah is, um, the title of the book is about the main character in the story. That Nehemiah is this leader that God has raised up in order to do something um, great. And what he's called to do is, is that Nehemiah is an exile. He is essentially a slave because the invading armies have come in, that they have conquered Israel, they've conquered Jerusalem, and in that process they've torn down the, the protective walls of Jerusalem so that they can't fight back. And then they took back the best and the brightest back to their own country. And that's Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is a person who has position and authority within the country that he's in, um, enslaved to, but he's still a slave. And Nehemiah is um, he's a cupbearer for the king. And a cupbearer the job of the cupbearer was to drink everything that the king was going to drink before the king drank it because if somebody was trying to poison the king, the cupbearer would die first. So a pretty important position, right? Pretty trust, you know, trusted position. If you're a king and you're afraid you know, somebody's going to uh, take you out through poisoning, you probably want to trust that person. Well, that's Nehemiah. And if we look at... The, in Nehemiah chapter 1, right at the beginning, verses, the first three verses, we see the why of what Nehemiah was up to. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So some of Nehemiah's family friends come back from their home country, from where he may be enslaved, but his heart is back with his people, and things are a mess. That, that this, <laughs> this is what the walls of Jerusalem look like. Again, I asked, you know, has anybody ever done a remodeling project? You know, when you're, you're doing the remodeling project, you sit there and you talk and you go, man, wouldn't it be great to have an extra room? Wouldn't it be great to redo the kitchen? And then you say, and you dream about what that's going to be. And then what you do is you tear everything apart and you look at each other and go, it was your idea to do this. Why was it your idea to do this? This is a stupid idea. We don't have enough money, and this is driving me crazy. This is a, a mess, right? You get right in the middle of it. And it's, you're in the middle of the mess. You think that, that nothing can happen, and this, this is never going to turn out well. There's a pile of rubble. And that's what Nehemiah faced. And here's what I would say to you. 
If you're seriously looking for the, the, the calling of God upon your life, if we're seriously looking for the calling of God of our place in the world, then you're going to be called to a mess. You're going to be called to a pile of rubble. Because that's where God works. And that's what God wants to do is to restore. And we see that here in the story. And so, so as the story continues, we also begin to see, well, how do you rebuild a wall? How do you build a wall, that, the thing that is in front of you? What do you do with that mess? And one of the things we see right here at the beginning is that Nehemiah got the authority to do so. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the, the story is told that Nehemiah comes before the king, and the king notices that he is downcast and asks him about it, and he expresses what is going on to the people that he loves and he cares for, and he asks essentially for permission to go back and to lead the re rebuilding of the wall of his uh, around Jerusalem. And he got permission from the authority that was over him because he was a slave. He wasn't free to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. He had to get that authority or he had to get that permission from authority. And here's what I find in people that want to do something or if there's this, this effort to move forward is, is that oftentimes there's something that holds us back. There's a permission that we are looking to get. And, and sometimes that permission is a wound from our past, maybe from our family, maybe from our parents. It might be a conflict that we are experiencing within our marriage between a husband and a wife that we're afraid that if our husband, or if we're afraid if our wife really knew what was passionate upon our heart and we shared that we wanted to pursue that, then the answer would be no. And so we just hold it inside. It might be a friend. It might be a relationship. But here's the question is that who are you looking for permission from to pursue what is important to you? And my encouragement to you today is, is that take, take the risk. Because if it's something that God has put upon your heart, just like it was something that God put upon Nehemiah's heart, is that God is going before you to make a way for that to happen. Just as God went before Nehemiah to make that happen in moving in the, king, heart, the heart of the king before he even showed up. But you have to have the courage to go <laughs> and to seek the permission the, the next thing is, 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 to know, is to know what you're up against. You know, I, um, there's some words of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14. The context is where Jesus is challenging people to lay down their lives and come to follow him. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, this is what he says to the disciples. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Do you know anybody who are in the perpetual uh, rebuilding cycle? <laughs> or you've got the dream and you see sort of the... the beginning of the dream but there's never any movement forward there's a there's somebody there's a guy it has to be a guy i know it's not a gal there has to, it's a guy in outside of boise on the way to mccall see i grew up out in eastern out there in eastern oregon and my parents have lived in the in the boise area and so um 
you go out the highway, and off to the right, next to this, this golf course, this beautiful manicured golf course, is somebody's dream. And it's a castle. Literally, it's a castle made out of concrete and, and big giant boulder rocks that has been in process for at least 30 years. <laughs> Nobody lives in it. It's, it's sort of an empty shell. and it's, Somebody had a vision. Somebody had a dream, but it's never going to get done. It's never going to get done. And Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, count the cost because there is a cost. Know what you're up against. And that's what Nehemiah did when he first came upon Jerusalem. It says he went into the middle of the night. He got a donkey, went, and he surveyed the wall. And he came to places where the donkey couldn't get through. He actually had to go hand over knees in order to get around the wall and to see what was going on. You remember that moment I talked about in the remodeling process where you start pointing your fingers at each other and say, that was a stupid idea. Why did you come up with this? It's why. It's because you're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. Has anybody here ever been overwhelmed by the mess? In you? Around you? And here's the thing. is that if you engage with God, you're going to be overwhelmed. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be overwhelmed. I mean, remember, think about Walter Payton. Every 4.4 yards, every 13.2 feet, bam, down. And that's where some of you are. You're like, I don't know if I can get up again. I am overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do this. You see, you're going to be overwhelmed, and that's why you don't do it alone. You don't do it alone. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, okay? I love this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, if you read the Old Testament, read through the Bible, this is one of those places where you read it once and you came across it again, and you said, I'm not going to try to read it again, because it's got all these crazy names and everything, and you're like, I can't pronounce those names, so I'll just skim it through. Let me read a bit of Nehemiah chapter 3. So this is Nehemiah, that he is he has organized the people who are there to rebuild the wall. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zacher, son of Imri, the fish gate was built up by the sons of Hesanah. They laid the beam, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Merimuth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hekaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Behind, or beside him was Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezabel, and then Zadok, son of Bana. Now listen to this verse, number five. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. There's always somebody, when we're trying to do something in our life or in great things for God, who believes that their ego says that they're too big for a job. But in the kingdom of God, there's nothing too small. The old city gate was repaired by Joadiah, son of Pasaea, 
and Meshulam, son of Bethsadiah, they laid the beam, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. And he continues on through the whole chapter 3, and he names this family, this family, side by side by side, around the wall to rebuild the wall. You can't do it alone. You can't. We can't. You can't do your family alone. You can't do your marriage alone. You can't do ministry alone. You can't do your calling alone. We can't do church together alone. We have to do it together. And one of the reasons why is what happens next is that, is that we have to stay focused. Remember that the wall is broken down, you're right? The, the gates are burned. Well, who did that? Well, the enemies of Jerusalem, the enemies of the people of God. Where are the enemies of the people of God? They're living right there. And what happens when the people of God rise up and say, we're going to rebuild the wall. This is going to be great. They're like, no, it's not. And so what happens is, is that they begin to fight them. Look in verse Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard of protection against them day and night. Here, let me tell you something. If you're trying to move forward in your life, you're, you're entering a fight. Okay, so that's just one thing we have to real, realize. Movement, growth. I mean, Marcy shared in her story, and if you sat down, I'm sure you could say, it was a fight. The second thing is, is that there's, in that fight, there's confusion. God tells us in his word that God is not a God of confusion, but of order. So anytime we find confusion, what, you know what we're up against? We're up against the enemy. We are in a battle. If you are in confusion today, right now, that is a spiritual battle. And God has put people around you to fight with you and for you, not against you. We need each other. And then what are we going to do? Well, then what, what we're going to do is, is that we're going to start picking up bricks. That big, giant pile of mess, we're going to start picking them up and putting them down. Because that's how you build a wall. So Cold Springs Church, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing what we're doing? So our why, and I shared this with you a couple, three weeks ago, is, is it this, is that we raise up resilient, lifelong disciples of Jesus. So that, that's our why. But there's a so that, right? There's a, what is it, so that what? So that we can share the hope of Jesus Christ. That's our core heart, is, is that people would know Jesus. To share the hope of Jesus Christ as a grace-filled community of transformation where people find belonging. And I just think again of Marcy's story. Did you, did you hear any of that? Did you hear any of that going on? If you look, I've pointed this out before, the, the sign on the wall here, free to be who you are, who we are, being transformed to all God created us to be. You know, there's no minimum who you need to be in order to walk through the doors of Cold Springs Church. There's no good enough in order to have entrance into Cold Springs Church. So nobody here should say, I'm not good enough, or I don't feel I should, I'm not good enough to be a part of this community or any community. 
free to be who you are, right where you are. But we know this, is that Jesus loves you so much that he's not going to leave you where you are. You're going to encounter Jesus here. We know that. We believe that. We trust that. If you are open, you will encounter Jesus. That we would be a grace-filled community of transformation. And you will belong. So what's our how? How do, how do we do that? How, what are the, the pillars that we've said are, are critically important? Well, Cold Springs Church pillars are, as one is that we create environments for family-centered connection. So we're very intentional about seeking to bring families together. And you're thinking, well, I'm old or I'm single. I'm not a part of a family. Yes, you are. Families are every part that makes the whole from cradle to grave. And, and when we talk about family, we're not talking about you as a young family with young kids, just, but all of us together. How do we experience family? How do we experience the family of God? We also, we reach out to families and children in need through relationships and programs of transformation. So we, remember, you know, the, the world's need, the world's brokenness. What is our heart? How, what is our passion? How do we meet those together? And, and you heard the region story. One of the really cool things that, that is going on right now is, is that Daniel Frank is one of the, uh, our, our student ministries leader. He is young adults leader. He has um, gone through Regen and passionate about that. Jared Bell is also one of our young leaders here at Cold Springs Church. He went through it. He's passionate. You want to hear about Regen, um, talk to Jared Bell. And what, they, what um, Regen did is they developed a youth version of their program that is 12 weeks instead of, you know, nine months. And, and so we've launched that here at Cold Springs Church because what we want to do is we want to raise up resilient, lifelong followers of Jesus. And we know that we have to set the foundation. And, and within our youth and our, our kids today, that, that you guys are facing some of the most difficult times to grow up ever. The, the world that you're living in, my world was so much easier than the world you're living in. It is hard to grow up in the world today. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, it is hard to be a kid today. And so we want to be with you. We want to love you. We want to give you the tools. That's region. That is reaching out to families and children in need through relationships and programs of transformation. And then the other third pillar is that we are spirit-led and spirit-empowered to influence our communities through prayer. As a, the, the power that is behind us that is under us, that is around us, that is over us, is the Spirit of God in us and through us. And we access that power through prayer. And so you are going to see more and more of that. You're going to have more opportunity to be prayed with, to pray for, to pray beside people within our church and within our community. And then the fourth one is that we equip we equip people of influence. We equip leaders, that's parents and youth and people within our community so that we can influence for good in the world. So what are, what are we doing within that? So what are, the, what are the bricks that we're grabbing and we're setting next to each other? And one of those is, is this thing you probably have heard of is called 3G Faith. And you're going to hear much more about that, by the way, next week. And 3G Faith is third generation faith. Be a disciple of Jesus who makes a disciple of Jesus who makes a disciple of Jesus. And you hear that and you go, man, you know what? I barely know what a disciple of Jesus is. How am I supposed to do that with anybody else? We recognize that. But let me give you a little secret. 
what 3G faith is, ultimately what, it, what, what Cold Springs Church really, really is intent on helping us to do is to have intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversations with the people that God puts in our path. Intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversations. What is 3G faith? It is a way, a simple, a very accessible way for you to have an intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversation with somebody you care about. That would then be able to have an intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversation with somebody that they care about. 3G faith. That's all it is. Because that's how people experience Jesus, is through relationship, through conversation. So that is a block. The other is, is that, that family-centered connection. You, you, heard us, you heard me talk about that as well a little bit already, is, is that how do we connect families together? How do we connect us together in meaningful relationships that are going to encourage each other and, and challenge each other to be the people that God wants us to be? And then as well, I shared with you the, the transformational prayer block is, is another one that we are seeking to put into place as we become more and more a people of prayer that are dependent upon the Spirit of God to do what we can't, but what the Spirit absolutely can. And so... When we do those things, we begin to build the wall. We begin to see progress, one brick at a time. Just like your remodeling project is like, let's just get something done. And you're like, oh, we got something done. We feel better. That's how God is rebuilding your life. That is how God is rebuilding your marriage. That is how God is rebuilding your family. That is how God is rebuilding Cold Springs Church in our community, in new times, in new people. One brick at a time. So how do you build your life? Well, if you have clarity around what it is that is your why, what is it that God is wanting to do to, to transform, to change, to heal, to bring hope to? And then you set, you know, then you have focus. You, you set your sights on that. You get a picture of what that is. You remove the distractions. And then execution. You know what a brick is. And you pick it up. And you put it down. And then you find another brick. There's a brick. And you pick it up and you put it down. And you find another brick. Here's something I found really interesting. I remember this when I was, I preached through the book of Nehemiah a number of times. And I remember in doing one of the studies that when Nehemiah declared the wall of Jerusalem to be completed, when they, he did this initial building project, um, this rebuilding project, do you know how, how high the wall was? It was about six feet. That's, it. That's a little bit shorter than me. So I'd be able to see over it if I was on my toes. What kind of wall is that? That's not a very good wall. I mean, people can jump over that wall. People can climb all over that wall. But it was the wall. It was the protection. And some of you are thinking, man, you know, I'll never do that, or I can't do that, or I'm not doing enough, or it's not enough. If we put our hands to the work of God that he builds it, 
hey, it's always enough because God makes up what we can't. And there is something that God is wanting you to do. What is the brick? What, and here's, here's the thing I'm really convinced of this, this, this morning, that there is some brick that the Spirit of God has put into your mind that you need to start laying down. And you might even not know the, the why, the, the end, but, but you know that there is a brick. And so pick up the brick. Start building. And God will reveal what he needs to reveal in his time. So here's some questions. We end with these questions. The, the questions are this. And what is something important to you? What is something important to you? Ask yourself why. And ask that question why three times. And answer the why that three times. So how can you do it? What are the key pillars that you need to have in place in order to accomplish that? And then what do you need to start doing? What's a, what's a brick in your, in your life? And finally, who needs to be with you? Who needs to be with you? Remember, you know, Walter Payton, right? Every 4.4 yards. Every 13.2 feet. He's knocked down. So anybody going to watch the game today? games today? All right. Obviously, 49ers fans, not Chiefs fans, because, you know, they came to the earlier service, because this new game starts at noon, right? Here's the thing you're going to see. Guys are going to get knocked down, and you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to run over, and they're going to reach down their hand, and they're going to help them up. And that little bit of energy, that little bit of thing that they saved by being helped up, gives them the energy to do it again. So here's the question is, is that who do you need to be with you? But here's the most, another important question. Who do you need to be with? Because there's somebody here in this room, there's somebody in your life that needs your hand to help them get up. Because we can't do it alone. That's what Cold Springs Church works. We so want to build that kind of culture, that kind of community, that kind of grace and love that we can say, man, I need help. And somebody's going to have their hand. What are you trying to build? What are we trying to build? What are we going to do? God is doing something. Let's do it together for his glory and for his purposes. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you have 